Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Maybe you've been asked this question on campus by one of our Protestant brothers and sisters on campus and they're part of their outreach for their ministries. Maybe you think about this often. But is there a more off-putting question than that, right up front? And here's the thing about a question like that. Most of us know exactly what that person wants to hear. We also have a general idea of how to avoid the conversation altogether by saying something to that person or by challenging that person. I remember when I was a young man in college and someone would say something like that to me, I would oftentimes argue with that person and try to convince them to become Catholic. I remember I was on spring break my junior year of college in Florida drinking beer with my rugby buddies on a beach and this guy came up and asked me that very question. And I tried to debate him and to convince him for the next 45 minutes that he should become a Catholic. And he tried to convince me that I should become a Protestant. We parted in separate company, obviously. But we often know what the expected answer is to so many questions. It's not just questions about faith. It's also questions of maybe your parents called you today and they asked you, what did you do last night? And you know the right answer is to tell them the truth, but maybe you don't want to give them that answer. So you give them what they want to hear. Yes, I stayed up until 10 o'clock studying, then I got 10 hours of sleep, went to Mass first thing in the morning. It's easy to tell people exactly what they want to hear. We live in a culture where we benefit, especially in our social interactions online in particular, when we benefit from giving people what they want to hear. Do I want to please my friends who support this particular political candidate? I know what to say. Do I want to you know, be a part of this particular group? I know exactly what to say or to cater my message, my brand. Last year I went to a, an event on campus and it was about this, uh, one of the professional athletes and their brands. And I was stunned to hear all of the students in the asking questions about their own particular brand. Students in college who have 200 followers on Instagram are talking about their brand as if it's the same as an NBA player. We live in this world where we have cultivated messages. And Jesus asks about that. Who do they say that I am? He wants those cultivated messages. He wants the apostles to identify, this is what we think we should say, or what the people think. or These are the right answers for the people who are asking us, who is this Jesus? But Jesus always asks us a deeper question. Who do you say that I am? And in asking that, Jesus expects uncomfortable and difficult responses because Jesus is the incarnate word of God. Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is everything. And so when he asks us that question, he's asking us the most intimate, vulnerable, personal question he could possibly ask. But what does he want from us? He wants whatever comes out. He just wants us to respond. 
He wants us to respond from the depths of our heart. Not to give him something that is convenient or easy or we think that he will like, but what we truly feel and believe. And brothers and sisters, I have this belief in my heart that you wouldn't be here tonight because it's so much easier to do any number of other things unless in some way, shape, or form that you recognize that there is something important about Jesus Christ. It's, he is someone worth giving something for sacrificially, loving and honoring and recognizing as beloved. Because what Jesus wants is for us to know him in the same way that he knows us. And how does he know us? Perfectly. When Jesus looks across a room at us, when Jesus comes to us in the sacraments, he knows everything about us. And he chooses to love you and me. When St. Peter in the gospel says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus looks at him and he sees a man who in a few moments in the gospel, come back next weekend for the story, Peter will mess up. And he sees the man who will deny him three times. And he sees the man who will abandon him in his hour of greatest need. And he loves him and he loves him so much he builds his church upon that so that you and I, imperfect as we are, can know that when Jesus looks at us and when we pour forth our answer to him, he is enough and I am enough. He wants us and he wants us to cry out, to share, to share our faith, to be one with him. He wants us to know him in such a way. I don't know if you, when you were kids and maybe when you were having an event or something and it was like a sporting event or a play or something, something that was very important to you and you looked out in the crowd and you saw your mom or your dad. You didn't you know, wave or anything like that. Maybe when you were a little kid you did. But you're maybe middle school or something. And just seeing them, you knew you were safe. You knew you were loved. You knew you were supported. Jesus wants that for us in relationship to him. For us to be able to recognize the sound of his voice, the back of his head, the sound of his laughter. To be able to know in the depths of our heart in those most difficult and challenging moments that he is ours and we are his and we are truly loved. And that there is always hope and that there is always freedom in him. That's what he wants for us. That's what he offers to us. So it is critically important for us to spend time with this. To really ask, to really ponder. When Jesus says to the apostles, he says it to you, who do you say that I am? And our gospel and our second reading give us an insight into how we can answer that question in such a way that is filled with faith and hope and love. The first thing is this, we need to spend time with Jesus. In the gospel narrative, St. Peter has spent at least at this point two and a half years with Jesus before he's ready to pour this out. It helps me and you, it helps us all to realize that our spiritual journey is one that takes time, that takes patience, that takes familiarity with Jesus. And here's the other thing. The other 11 apostles have been with St. Peter since the beginning and they're still afraid. They still don't cry out. So that should give us even more courage and hope to know that by spending time with Jesus, 
by opening our hearts to him little by little, by inviting him into our lives, by gazing upon him and allowing him to gaze into our hearts, and not just the parts that we're proud of, but the parts that we're ashamed of and afraid of, that by doing that little by little over time, we will become more and more comfortable, more and more confident, more and more loving and trusting with him. But we must spend time with him. Daily in prayer, in silence before the blessed sacrament, with the poor, we need to know and experience Jesus. The second thing we need to be able to do is to be a little foolish in a way. St. Peter just blurts it out, you are the son of the living God. That's a crazy thing to say or think. And yet he just pours it out. He is reckless in a way with his love, with his belief. St. Paul in the second reading says so beautifully, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how inscrutable are his judgments and how unsearchable his ways. For from him and through him and in him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Remember, Paul persecuted the church. And yet when he meets Jesus and spends time with him, what can he do except be reckless in sharing that love with other people? We must spend time with Jesus, but we also must share our faith. We must live that faith forward and be willing to learn, not necessarily just from our successes, but also from our failures. And all of this third thing takes place where? In the church. To be with Peter and under Peter. To be in the church, to be mystically united to Christ and mystically united to one another. Not only in sacrament, but in thought and word and deed. We need each other to lift each other up, but we also need each other to make sense of this crazy world and to follow these teachings so that we can be free. I don't think we realize how free we are when we live fully alive in the church. Because we are living in faith. We are living in trust, not in my own strength, but in the strength that comes from Christ Jesus. And so when we spend that time with Jesus, when we share that faith and when we live in the church, and I'm not saying like you have to actually come and spend all of your time here living in the church, but we have to be united to Christ through the church, through believing what the church teaches, through professing that in what we do and what we say and how we act but also being here on Sunday. There is a great ache and a pain in the church when, we are, when one of us is absent. We are better when we are together. When we're able to do this, when we're able to live this way, we're able to respond to the questions and the challenges of this world, not in formulaic ways, not in the ways that are expected, but in the ways that are freeing, in the ways that are joy-filled, and in the ways that give life, not only to ourselves, but to our brothers and sisters, to the church, to the world. All those things that come our way are no longer obstacles or challenges, but opportunities to live freely, to share in everything that we do, the knowledge, the faith, the experience of being one with Jesus Christ, who is the Son of the living God.